before I go into Acts 26, I just want to read some verses actually in 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15, if you, if you know 1 Corinthians at all, but this particular passage is just so good at unpacking the resurrection. And on today, on a day like today, when we're thinking of Alex Willis, who went home to be with the Lord, he changed permanent address this week from, uh, from Eastbourne to heaven. You know, on a day like today, it's good to remember the future hope that we have. So I wonder whether we could just turn to 1 Corinthians 15 together. If you've got your Bibles, the scripture's going to come up also on the screen here. I'm not going to read the whole of the passage. I'm just going to take sections of the passage so that we can just move on fairly swiftly today. 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul speaking. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. I'd underline that in my notes of first importance. Paul's saying this is really important. You know, we, I'm going to talk about the resurrection and we don't talk about it an awful lot uh, as a church. We talk about the death of Jesus. We talk about the impact of his bearing of our sins on the cross. We talk about the cross a lot, but we don't talk about the resurrection a lot. And today Paul is saying, hey, I want to pass on to you that which is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and he appeared to the twelve as the disciples and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time and most of whom are still living today though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. I do not deserve to be called an apostle because I actually persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Oh, I'm so grateful for the grace of God. So grateful for the grace of God. I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And if Christ, I love this little section of the scripture. This is a whole lot of deductive reasoning that Paul's going to go into here. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ, Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hope, what would I have gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die this is the word of the Lord 
In Acts chapter, or the whole book of Acts, we see just on one occasion after another, there are two things that are real stumbling blocks to the listener uh, of those who are preaching, to Peter when he's preaching, to Paul when he's preaching, and others as they're declaring the gospel. And those two stumbling blocks are this, that the gospel of salvation is for everyone. The religious people hate that. The gospel of salvation is for everyone. And for us, as a reminder today, on the 29th of January, 2023, I want us to remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. No one is excluded from it. It's for everyone. And the second thing that caused all kinds of trouble every time it was mentioned was the supernatural resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The supernatural resurrection of Jesus changed everything once and for all. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is putting over a case in an amazing way using this kind of deductive reasoning, this apologetics. And Andrew spoke to us a bit last week about you know, simple apologetics, how we can communicate our faith. And he said five things to us. Know your audience. Tell your story. Know your rights. Admit your mistakes. And explain your hope. And today I just want to do that. I want to explain my hope and our hope as Christians. You know, in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. But let me flip that around and say this, if Christ has been raised, our preaching is essential. He says this also in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. Let me flip that round. If Christ has been raised, then your faith is precious. Verse 15, Paul says this. If Christ has not been raised, then we are false witnesses. But if Christ has been raised, church, you are hope bringers. You are hope bringers. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. But if Christ has been raised, your faith is eternally valuable. If Christ has not been raised, those who have fallen asleep are lost. But if Christ has been raised, those who have fallen asleep have eternal life. Alex is not here today but he's with the Lord, seeing him face to face, not living by faith anymore, but living by sight. He sees his saviour. And in verse 19, if Christ has not been raised, we are to be pitied of all people. But if Christ has been raised, we have a bright future. We have a hope and a future. You know what? Paul was the last person that you can imagine to have believed in the resurrection or believed that the divine God could be a human could outwork his life through human flesh. But Paul was persuaded by the resurrection of Jesus to put his faith in him. How was Paul persuaded? Somehow the resurrection of Jesus from the dead satisfied Paul's mind, but not just his mind, his conscience and his heart as well. And something about the resurrection that has this amazing ability to satisfy our minds. The resurrection of Jesus Christ satisfies our minds. It satisfied Paul's minds, mind and it satisfies ours. And secondly, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead 
gets us past our past. It deals with our consciences. And thirdly, the resurrection from the dead gives us courage to keep on going in this life. It affects our hearts. So firstly, I just want to spend a bit of time. It satisfies our minds. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, we're given three pieces of really significant historical evidence for the resurrection. The first is this. In verse 4, Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead. The tomb was empty. Church, we need to know that. The tomb is found empty. On the third day, on that Sunday morning, Jesus was no longer there. Secondly, in verse 6, there were eyewitnesses. There were hundreds of them. Jesus appeared to the apostles. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to James. And he, he appeared to over 500 people. Jesus was seen with people's eyes and he was touched with their hands. And the third thing that convinces us of the resurrection is that those people that saw Jesus, their lives were changed radically and completely from that moment. They were willing to declare their faith in Jesus Christ and to share what Jesus had done, his death and his resurrection, how it impacted them. They were willing to put their lives at, rest, at risk, be martyred and die for their faith. There are three things that can convince us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real. And those three things are it satisfies our minds. It's, it gets us past our past and it gives us courage to keep going. We have three things also that strengthen our faith is that the tomb was empty. That there were hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus alive and that he transformed people's lives radically from that point. You know, N.T. Wright says this, uh, commentator, great theologian, I love his writing. N.T. Wright says this, it says this, if there was only an empty tomb without, without the eyewitnesses, people would have believed the body was stolen. But if there had only been eyewitnesses the body, and the body was still in the tomb, then people would have believed that they were hallucinating. But only if all three were true, the empty tomb, the sightings of Jesus, and the permanently changed lives of the witnesses, could Christianity have begun so quickly and spread so forcibly. Paul believed in Jesus because of the historical evidence that persuaded him. He was the one-time persecutor of the church. He was a murderer of Jesus' followers. And, but he himself became a Jesus follower. So how are we supposed to believe that? How can we put our faith in that? You know what? If Paul was here this morning, instead of me, and that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? If Paul was here... Instead of me, I think we'd remember this morning. What would he say to persuade us? You know, we have a brilliant example in Acts chapter 26. And this is where we're going to turn into the book of Acts together. So Acts 26. Paul is a prisoner. He's in Caesarea. 
and Festus had just recently taken over from Felix as the Roman governor of the area and so and, and at the time uh, King Agrippa who is the, the, the King Herod Agrippa is with spending time with, um, with Festus and, and Festus calls Paul into the court to, to give witness uh, and to give defense for his, for his faith for you know, why he's imprisoned and, um, and so Acts 26 verses 22 to 26 I just want to read these words to us Paul is speaking in the court but God has helped me to this very day so I stand here and I testify to small and great alike I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen that the Messiah would suffer as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles just notice those two things that the Messiah would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead but he would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles those are the two things that were always the stumbling block in the message and at this point Festus interrupted Paul's defence and you can feel the tension in the room you are out of your mind Paul he shouted your great learning is driving you insane oh I'm not insane most excellent Festus Paul replied what I am saying listen to this what I am saying is true and reasonable the king that's Agrippa is familiar with these things now it's good to remember that the King Agrippa was alive during the time of Jesus he would have been around during the time of Jesus in fact 1 Corinthians 15 was written probably only 16 to 18 years after Jesus' resurrection I, I remember things you know 16, 18, 20 years ago quite clearly so these, these things that Paul's written were very current and, and Agrippa was alive during that time and would have been around the area so he says this Paul the king Agrippa is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him because I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen in a corner it's not a secret and the king knows this you know, so many people that I've spoken to on Alpha or I had the opportunity to share a bit of my story with, they often say to me, you know, I can, I can believe that Jesus died, but I really struggle to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I really struggle to believe that. But what if the facts prove that Jesus did? He rose from the dead. There were eyewitnesses. The tomb was empty. Agrippa, you know that. You heard the report of the soldiers that came back from the tomb. They said an angel came and the stone was rolled away and the body's no longer there. You know that there was money paid to them to keep quiet, to keep things under, under wrap. You know about the witnesses. You've heard some of these stories, Agrippa. None of this was done in a corner. Jesus is risen. He's no longer dead. He's raised to life. Paul was saying to, 
to Festus and to Agrippa. This is, I'm not talking about philosophy. I'm not talking about something that kind of satisfies me or fulfills me. I was the last person to, be, to want to believe this stuff. I'm the guy that persecuted the Christians. I'm the guy who put them to death. I didn't want to believe this stuff. But when I saw the evidence, when I heard the evidence, the empty tomb, the eyewitness accounts, the changed lives of the believers, I had to believe this. I'm the last to want to believe it, but I have to believe it. King Agrippa, you know the public facts. You know what happened. You know, I don't know if you ever think about this, but when I was singing this morning, we were worshipping God, I was thinking, if there was no resurrection, what's the point of being here today? You can understand why Paul would say, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. What's the point of us being here? What's the point of us running groups and serving those in our town who are in need? There's no point at all unless Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead changes everything. And Paul says to Festus, you know, I didn't believe in Jesus because it fulfilled me. I didn't want to believe in Jesus. He was a threat to everything I was. And all I have and all I wanted to be, he's a threat Why am I being so rational with us this morning? Why am I being so clear this morning? Because, do you know why? Because Alex is not worshipping with us. That Ian, who died a couple of weeks ago, he's no longer with us. But the hope I have is that they are with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know, one day, they're going to receive resurrected bodies like you and I are. And we're going to dance together. We're going to celebrate new life together. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any sickness. There's not going to be any sadness. Because Jesus has plowed a route right through death. So that we could follow in the trail behind him. Tim Keller says this. I love this quote. One of our greatest needs is for a saviour that is not the product of our needs. One of the main desires of our hearts is for a Lord who is not the product of the desires of our hearts. We don't need, just, we don't need a Jesus that just fulfills us. And we're happy, you know, sometimes, you know, we're happy with that whole idea. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He fulfilled me. It's not enough that we're fulfilled as Christians. We need to put our faith in something that's true, that's real, that changes our lives. Not just now, but eternally. Changes us, transforms us. For Jesus to radically change and transform us, he has to be more than fulfilling to us. He has to be real. And that's what convinced Paul. If Jesus is a God that's made in my image, to fulfill my desires, then how could he ever contradict me? How can he contradict me when I hate myself? If I made Jesus in my image to be the person that I wanted him to be, every time that I was wrong, he'd be wrong. I am so grateful that I have a Jesus that's real, that he rose from the dead. Only a Jesus that's real 
when I go astray, can pull me back on route again. Only a Jesus that's real can tell me when I'm down on myself, I love you and I've got a purpose for your life. The poet W.H. Alden, when he came back to his faith in Jesus after being an atheist for some time, he said this, I believe in Jesus because he fulfills none of my dreams. Because he is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could make him in my own image. He contradicts what I want. He defies my expectations in every way. He is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I made him in my own image. And therefore, he must be real. And then somebody said to him, well, what about Buddha or Muhammad? And he said this, this is profound. None of the others arouse all sides of my being to cry, crucify him. We need an authentic, resurrected Jesus who can prick our bubble when we get too big for our trousers, who can bring us down to earth, who can bring us back onto the path. Secondly, a resurrected Jesus gets us past our past. How could Paul live with himself? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when Paul guarded the coats and oversaw the, the martyrdom and the death of Stephen, years later, there's no doubt that Paul would have been preaching to people who were relatives of Stephen and friends of Stephen. How could he do that? How could he do that with a clear conscience? How could he face those that he'd, who are friends and family of those he'd killed and persecuted? Do you know the only reason? It's because of the resurrection. You know, if you've done something wrong and you need to pay a debt to society and say that debt is two years imprisonment and you pay your debt and you come out of prison after two years, when you come out of those prison doors, you don't owe any debt anymore. It's, it's paid. It's settled. And we know you, you still have a criminal record, but the debt's paid. Jesus, when he took our sins and our mistakes and our failures on a cross, and he went into the prison grave of death, the day he came out, he came out free from your sin and my sin. Our sin is paid in full. It's paid in full once and for all. Jesus broke through. The tomb couldn't hold him any longer. The seal was broken. The tomb couldn't hold him anymore. Death was defeated. The, the debt of sin was paid once and for all. We can't pay that. None of our good works, none of our good behaviour, our, our good speech, none of it is going to be acceptable. But only if someone would pay it for us. And Jesus did. He went all the way and paid the full price once and for all. That's the only reason why Paul could stand in front of people. That's why he says, I stand before you by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
not because I was a Pharisee and I knew the law and I behaved in a certain way, but by the grace of God. The gospel of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead creates a humble confidence in us. Not because of our behavior, but because of his. It's all about him. The resurrection of Jesus enables us to move beyond our sins into eternal life, freedom and forgiveness. I don't know if you're one of those people that keeps your receipts. Uh, I know some people that keep all their receipts. And, you know, and, and, so, and sometimes I can see it's quite a good thing to do that. Because when someone comes and says, well, you haven't paid me, they get the receipt from the pocket and they say, trouble me no more. <laughs> I have a receipt. It's paid in full. That's what Jesus has done. That's what you and I have. We have a receipt and it's paid in full. You know what? Jesus didn't just wipe the slate clean for us. He destroyed the slate. He destroyed the slate. And that's why, that's why we can have confidence in the resurrection. And the, re- and the reason why I'm just so compelled to be talking about this today is that I think there's a season for us as a church for us to lean into this confidence and to share our hope in the resurrection in a really powerful way. I don't want us to put our Christianity into some kind of clinical kind of area and we say, yeah, that's acceptable. Yeah, can you, can you accept that? Why don't you come and join our Christian club? We don't, people don't need to join a Christian club. They need to hear that Jesus has completely broken the power of sin and death once and for all and come into resurrection life. That's the only hope. That is the only thing that's going to save. And then I just, actually I want to just quote this hymn. I love these words from this hymn. I hear the accuser roar of ills that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Isn't that amazing? Jehovah knoweth none. And then finally, the resurrection gives us courage to keep going in this life. In verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If the dead are not raised... Well, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's pretty final. But if the dead are raised, then it's a whole new story. I heard a a great story just a a few weeks ago of of a pastor who, he lost his wife she died and they were traveling back from the Thanksgiving service the funeral and he had his daughter in the car and he was trying to think how do I explain this to my daughter how can I explain what's going on it was a beautiful sunny day and they were driving down the road and coming in the direction towards them was this huge kind of 16 wheel articulated lorry and as the lorry passed them the the car they were in just fell into into shadow because it just created such a big shadow and um, 
And as they came out the other side, they just came into sunlight again. And um, the pastor said to his daughter, um, you know, what would you prefer for us to go through the lorry or to go through the shadow? And of course she said, well, I'd much prefer to go through the shadow. And he said to her, I want you to know that Jesus has gone through the lorry of death so that you only have to, you and I and mum only had to go through the shadow of death. You know what? Today I know that Jesus has gone through the lorry of death. He's crowbarred death open so that Alex only had to go through the shadow of death. So that Ian only had to go through the shadow of death. So that Pam and Alan and David and Bonnie and others who have recently, part of his church family, they've only gone through the shadow of death because Jesus went through the lorry of death. And that is what's giving us confidence today. Confidence to keep going. Confidence not to give up. Confidence to share our faith. Courage to hang in there. Because we have an eternal hope and it's steadfast and it's certain. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death is wrong. We should be angry at death. It's never meant to be. Before Adam and Eve, before Adam and Eve sinned, there would have been no death. And there will be a day where death is completely finished. Our bodies will live forever. Our resurrected bodies. But until that day, we know that the power of death is broken. It is broken. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. I'm going to finish with this. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his book. Um, I think it's called Mystery. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He, Christ, is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that had been locked since the death of the first man, Adam. He has met, he has fought, and he's beaten the king of death. Everything is different. Because he, because he has done so, everything is different. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Amen. Come join me now.